Well, uh, as we do, because proclamation of good news is a communal act that we are all participating in, I bless you by saying the Lord be with you. Thank you. Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, your goodness, your word in our lives. Uh, help us, Lord, to hear and to respond uh, in faithfulness. Lord, help us to experience the goodness of repentance and belief today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as Matt said earlier, we're in the middle of this series on baptism, and um, I almost feel like, here's, here's my commitment. I'm going to try not to over-explain these scriptures today. Because we just did that. You guys realize that? Like that, that, that song uh, one, of my, one of my friends wrote is a, is a response that kind of helps us understand the picture of baptism that emerges from the scripture. And so it'd be worth, you know, finding the song on Spotify and, you know, whatever, listening to it uh, this week as a way of sort of meditating on everything that this, this particular sermon is going to be about. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're talking in this series on baptism. Baptism is... The initiation into God's family, we'll talk more about that next week, through water, we'll talk about that today, uh, that is a sacrament, which we talked about last Sunday, uh, whereby we receive the seed of new life, which we'll talk about two weeks from now, uh, and we begin our Christian journey three weeks from now, okay? So it's kind of all packed in there. That's our, our concise definition of baptism. It is an initiation into God's family through water which is a sacrament whereby we receive the seed of new life and we begin our Christian journey. Uh, last week, Matt talked about uh, baptism as a sacrament, that God is present and it gives grace to us in the ordinary physical world. That's why baptism involves actual water. We're not baptizing anybody unless we actually use water. And we're not actually coming to the table of the Lord unless we actually eat bread and, and dip it in the wine. It's not just a mental exercise, something's happening as we, as we come to the table. Something's happening as we go under the water and come back out. Um, a sacrament is a rite with created matter, water, bread, wine, um, and, and words that point us to God through the process. Uh, and through that process, they become to us a means of grace. So that's, that's the, kind of the additional thing about a sacrament that many of us from our backgrounds are going to have to sort of wrap our minds around and, and begin to kind of lean into in terms of a practice is it's not just a mental exercise. It's not just something that's happening in my brain. It's actually something that's happening like between me and God. The grace is being communicated to me as I participate in the sacrament. So we talked about that last time. Today we're going to continue uh, to open our eyes to this bigger picture of baptism uh, since so many of us come from traditions where it was just kind of a public declaration of faith. It was simply... Something I did kind of when I felt like, yeah, I want to tell the world I believe in Jesus. It was something that I was doing, right? Uh, the bigger picture of baptism we're, we're sort of we're leaning into is that it's something, yes, we come, to the, yes, we come and, we, and we baptize and we, and we bring you know, our, our children and ourselves through the water, but it's primarily something God is doing. Baptism is primarily something God is doing and primarily something God has done that we now participate in through baptism. Um, so, anyway, the, the, and the reason we believe this is basically the Bible. The Bible won't let us uh, treat baptism as a, uh, a self-individualistic uh, kind of a thing. So we want to continue to talk about that. Uh, with today, we're just talking about water. So water is the physical element we use in baptism, and we want to talk about that today. Why water? What does water symbolize? What does it enact for us? Um, why is water baptism into the name of the Trinity? Good news for us uh, today. And... Uh, Here's the good news for today. This, in a culture that's trying to find life by delaying and avoiding death, 
or by defining ourselves over against those other people. There's all kinds of ways we look for life. In the midst of that culture where we're seeking to try to get some sort of sense of life, we proclaim today the good news that God gives new life as a gift by plunging us into the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in baptism. We proclaim the good news that God gives new gift as a gift by plunging us into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in baptism. Um, so uh, where, does this, where, does this, where does this land us? Um, I, uh, I have been, many of you know, my, my dad died about 16 years ago. I was 25 years old. And um, when he died, uh, you know, it was obviously hard, you know, uh, anytime a parent dies. Um, and, uh, but I've been going through this new round of grief, actually, about my dad's death. Um, and they say, they say this happens, anybody who's been part of a grieving process, it sort of comes back around, you know, every once in a while, new circumstance or something else. And so something happens in you where it just comes about just all the pain and the sorrow and the grief and the anger and everything else, you know, that's involved with grief, it all comes back up again. And that, this has been happening for me lately. I think it's partly because I, uh, I recognize that in my dad, I had a kind of a mentor, a discipler. It was like a man in my life who cared about me. Um, and who wanted what was best for me. And I could rely on him to sort of, if things were hard at work or whatever, you know, I could call him and say, well, man, this is what's going on. And I trusted what he said to me. He was a wise person. He was a Christian man. He was, he was a good dad, you know. Not perfect, but he was a good dad. Um, but, I, but I've been realizing that part of what I lost when he died was that presence in my life of a man who could do that for me. Um, and so that, that's what I'm starting to grieve. And so there's this new round of grief happening where I, I'm not just grieving the fact that I lost my dad 16 years ago, but now I'm grieving the fact that I never really got a mentor that I wanted. I never really got that, how I wanted it at least. You know, I, never, I never really got what I wanted. I never, you know, and so the, the grieving process is, is twofold. It's, it's grieving my dad, but it's also grieving this sense of, man, for, for 15, 16 years, I wished... I could have a man in my life who could speak to me in the way that my dad did, but I never got one. <laughs> and so uh, grieving is a kind of letting go of that. It's a letting go. Um, and it's, in that way, it's kind of a death. You know, I, I'm giving up the dream, <laughs> basically. I, I have to come to grips with the fact that I'm not going to get that. It's not going to happen. It didn't happen, and it probably won't. I have to kind of give up that dream. So uh, it's a kind of death. Grieving is a kind of death. It's a letting go of something that was precious to you. It might be a person, a relationship, or a dream, or a wish, that kind of thing. It's a letting go. It's a death. Um, and you, you let go of it in grief, trusting that something's on the other side. Something's on the other side. And so as Christians, we grieve, trusting that resurrection's on the other side of that death. So why do I share this story? What's the deal? What does death have to do with water? A lot. As we talked about in our baptism class, um, uh, we talked about death is, or our water is, you know, it's for cleansing us, right? That's one of the symbols of water is purification and cleansing. Uh, but another symbol for water is uh, you can drown in it, <laughs> right? And uh, water in the ancient world um, was a, it was a scary thing, and everybody kind of knew it was scary. Um, monsters live in the water. There's chaos underneath the water. Um, there's, uh, you can drown in the water. It's dangerous to go out onto the sea, um, that was kind of part of how water was symbolized in the ancient world. 
Um, and I, I can attest to this. Anybody find water scary sometimes? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> wow. Terrifies you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I remember um, when I was in high school, I was traveling. I was going to this party. This was before Google Maps, right? Back in the olden days. Uh, it was like 92, probably 93. I was going to some party in, uh, I lived in this small town in southern Minnesota, and it was like an even smaller town, uh, about 10, 12 miles, uh, I think, west of where I lived, called Ceylon. And I remember that somebody saying, like, hey, there's a party, you should come out. You know, it's at this house in Ceylon. I was like, oh, Ceylon. So I looked out, you know, I looked on the map, I tried to find my way there, and it was dark by the time I was driving. And uh, I remember as I was driving, realizing, like, you know, my lights are just on the road and everything else is dark, and it's out in the country, so there's no street lights or anything like that. It's just dark. All I can see is, like, you know, 20 feet in front of my car. And I remember realizing I was driving on this road, and I remember realizing that there was water to the left and water to the right. And it wasn't a bridge or anything like that. It was like this just road, and the water was like maybe a foot below where the road was. And I had this sense of panic, like, oh my, like, what in the, you know, like, I, and I had all these visions of, you know, like, what if the road dips, you know, and I just, my car just plunges into uh, the water, right? Um, which, I don't know if you can relate. Kayla, you can probably relate. Yeah, you can relate. <clears throat> but, the, you know, this is kind of thing, you know, I'd have sort of like nightmares about this kind of thing, of like being stuck in a car as it, as it was going down, right? I remember I told this story before where my dad wanted to drive across the frozen lake that, that we lived. We lived on a, you know, in a town with a bunch of lakes. And so in the middle of winter, People are ice fishing out there on the lakes. The ice is perfectly safe, but he wanted to drive home. He's like, hey, let's take a shortcut. Let's drive across the lake in our minivan, you know. And, um, and we vetoed him, you know, because, again, I've got these visions of kind of drowning in the water. Um, so anyway, so I avoid situations like that. Kayla and I do anyway. We find, yeah, we find, uh, we find that stuff scary. Um, and it is normal, you know, for humans to avoid that which brings us close to death. Obviously, it's normal, Right. We, we want to hold on to life. Right now, there's tons of research going on into, like, longevity. Have you guys ever seen these stories? People are like, you know, the, the, the founders of Google want to live forever, you know. And there's people actually uh, freezing themselves, cryo-freezing themselves, in hopes that eventually we'll discover some sort of technology that will be able to bring them back when we finally figure out how to live forever. And there's billions of dollars going into this research, billions of dollars into, like, holding on to life holding on to life, especially wealthy people, which go figure, right? Uh, they got a good life, and so they want to hold on to it. They want to live forever. They want to be able to kind of uh, live forever. Um, and they're, they're, in a way, what we saw uh, this weekend in Charlottesville, I don't know if you guys were following the news, in a way what we saw this weekend uh, in Charlottesville is another attempt to hold on to something that feels like it's slipping through their fingers, holding on to life in an attempt to uh, just grab hold of something that's slipping through their fingers, and it's an easy response for us in, in our communities to scapegoat the other, to think if you just, if just you weren't here, everything would be fine. Everything would be okay if those people weren't here. So we want to hold on to life. Water in the ancient world, it represented cleansing, but it also represented death. And so choosing water, the early church choosing water as the element that we're going to use as our initiation into the church, into the new life that God calls us into, was really purposeful. And it cut against the grain of people trying to grab hold of life and keep it. Instead, what we proclaim is that in the kingdom of God, we get life as a gift as we move into death. 
we move into death. We plunge beneath the waters into the death of Christ, and we come, up, come back up into the resurrection of Christ. So listen, listen to this prayer. This is one of the prayers that we're going to pray in the baptismal liturgy that we're going to do on September 10th, the second week of September when we baptize. Um, after the candidates are presented, after we read the baptismal covenant, which is a series of uh, kind of serious promises um, that, are, that are super cool, um, we then we thank God for water. We pray over the water. And this is what we're going to pray. We're going to say, we thank, we thank you, Almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the children of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. In it, your son Jesus received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as Messiah, the Christ, to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. Do you guys catch those three images that we read about today in this prayer? That's where we got the, that's where we got the, uh, the idea to read those scriptures today. It's from this prayer. The church has been praying this prayer for a long time. We pray over the water. These images of water um, are, now, are now part of what uh, we do together. So the prayer continues. We thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. And through it, we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in joyful obedience to your Son, we bring into this, his fellowship those who come in faith, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now sanctify this water, we pray you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that those who here are cleansed from sin and born again may continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I read that because there's tons of theology packed into that. And there's a reason that, that, we, that, we, that we baptize in water, and it's all kind of in that prayer. So the Spirit hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation. In the Exodus event that we'll, we'll talk about here shortly was, was an event that came through the water to freedom and new life, away from the, the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Um, it's not mentioned in the prayer, but Noah is another story that, uh, that we read about that's a, that's a story of coming through water into new life. When the Israelites came back into the land, or when they, when they finally inherited the land under Joshua, what did they do? They crossed the Jordan. They went through the water into their new land. Uh, John the Baptist, when he was calling Israel after they'd come back into the land, after the exile, like this is like Israel, like in a short, you know, two-minute speech. Like the whole history of Israel is this story, and that's why John chose water. He said, you need to, we need to come back. It was a reform movement within Israel. We need to come back to obeying God. We need to come back. We need to repent. And so he would take people through the water, and it was like a reenactment of coming, in, coming through the Jordan, which was a reenactment of coming through the waters, out of slavery, out of bondage, into freedom. So this story loomed large in the, in the, uh, in the ancient world, in the, in the Jewish world. Uh, and then Jesus comes. We read about this story. Jesus comes through the water to new life. Now, Jesus didn't need to repent, which is why John the Baptist said, like, hey, wait, 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 wait. You need to baptize me. I know who you are. I know what this is about. Why are you asking me to baptize you? You guys ever thought about that? Why did Jesus ask John to baptize him? We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, and then we, as it says in the Romans passage that we read, we follow Jesus into baptism. Jesus' baptism prefigured his death and resurrection. And now on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection, we participate in that event in our baptism. Okay. So I know this is a lot, a lot going on here, but I'm trying to like, give several images for you about why we use water and what it enacts and what we believe about it. In a culture that's trying to find life by delaying and avoiding death, we proclaim the good news that God gives life as a gift by plunging us into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. 
So let me just make a few notes about these scriptures, uh, and then uh, we're going to respond together. The Exodus story that we read, um, it's right at the end of the story, but you guys probably know it. they've, They've come out of slavery in Egypt after... 10 plagues and all this kind of hemming and hawing from Pharaoh. And finally, Pharaoh's like, fine, get out of here. I don't want you anymore. You know, these plagues are plaguing me. I'm done. But of course, he changes his mind after the Israelites come out. And who knows how many there were. Some people estimate up to a million people were just traveling out from Egypt. These slaves who'd been slaves for hundreds of years, they're traveling out. They're excited to be like, God, man, Yahweh has come to our rescue He's leading us into this new place that's going to be ours, and it's going to be wonderful, it's going to be great. And all of a sudden, they hear a sound behind them, and they see a dust cloud. And they realize Pharaoh has changed his mind, and he sent his armies after them and said, just kill them all. Just kill them all. And in front of them, they have the Red Sea, which doesn't feel like, it's not like a, you know, it doesn't feel like good news. It doesn't feel like, oh, great, a beach. I love the beach. It feels like death. To wade into the water is death. To stay on the beach is death. What do we do? They're, they're at the end. This is the end of the line. It's over. And they cry out to Moses, like, like, did you lead us out here to die? What's the, what is going on, Moses? Moses cries out to God. He's like, God, I don't know the answer to that question. Did you? Like, help us here, right? God, it's kind of an interesting interaction, but God says, uh, look, no, I didn't lead you out here to die. Just put your hand out over the water. Put your staff out over the water. See what happens. And so he puts his staff out over the water. God protects the Israelites with the fire of his presence behind them. And, of course, the waters part, right? It's an iconic story. The Israelites walk through on dry land, a wall of water on either side, it says. And then Pharaoh's army comes in after him, and God closes it up. And the Israelites have a party on the other side because God has delivered them. And that's, like their, that's their founding story. That's what they reenact every year at the Passover, like, super important thing. They come through the water to new life. A couple of notes, God did this for them, right? This wasn't an event where they were like, let's tell those, fair, let's tell those uh, Egyptians how much we believe in God, right? We're going to do something, you know, go through the water. This is something God had to do for them. In the same way, baptism is similarly passive. We don't baptize ourselves. Someone baptizes us. All you do in baptism is you get into the water. You plug your nose if you don't want to inhale a bunch of water. And then you just, somebody leads you down. You just go down into the water. And then they bring you back up. It's something that's done for you. And in baptism, God does something for us. So God does this for them. And it begins their journey toward freedom and new life in this promised land. Baptism is the beginning of the journey of faith. Notice that they didn't know everything they needed to know beforehand. It used to be my impulse that like, we need to like, teach everything we know about baptism. Like, you need to understand the theology of baptism before you're baptized. Israelites didn't know anything. You don't have to understand it intellectually to participate in it. All you need to know is that God is <laughs> opening up the water so that you won't get killed by these Egyptians. You can go through the water. It takes a lifetime to understand this stuff. It's the beginning of a journey. And of course, this is what's being reenacted in the passage from Matthew that we read. That Jesus is baptized not to repent of his sin, because he's, he doesn't have any sin. This is why John the Baptist says, wait, 
why are you asking me to baptize you? Jesus says, no, this, this should happen. This is appropriate. This is right because it fulfills all righteousness. And essentially what Jesus is doing here is, first of all, he's fully identifying with us in his humanity. He's saying, he's indicating, he's saying, look, I'm co- I've come to save you, just like God saved the Israelites through the water, but I haven't come to do this from afar. I'm not going to send some bombers over to kind of take care of your enemies. I'm in this with you. And so the waters that you're going into because of your sin, I'm going in there with you. Jesus gets his hands dirty. He fully identifies with us. And the other thing that this is doing is this is, this is a prefigurement of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's Jesus saying, this is the life I'm committed to, a life of dying and rising, of identifying with sinners. And that happens ultimately on the cross where Jesus dies in the midst of sinners for us. So Jesus gets his hands dirty. Jesus uh, saves us from within. He saves us as one of us. Uh, And, of course, as he comes up out of the water, we see the Trinity here. We see Jesus wet with the waters of baptism, the Spirit alighting on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. So Jesus unites, the thing that's important to realize here is this, Jesus unites himself with us in our sin so that we can be united with him in his righteousness, in baptism. There's a uniting that happens. So his experience of affirmation and identity that he receives from the Father then becomes ours. That God himself says this to us as well. He says, you're in Christ, so therefore you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love. I'm very pleased with you. So finally then, a couple notes on the Romans passage that we read. Uh, In the midst of this passage, Paul uh, Paul is responding to this rhetorical question that it seems like he got a lot. Which was, hey, if this is all by grace, and if like... You know, it's not by the law anymore. Like, why don't we keep sinning? Like, maybe that'll help God out. You know, if we keep sinning, God will be able to give us more grace. And, you know, why don't we do that? So it sounds like a little bit of a snarky question, right? Like, if you're going to ask that question, you're sort of like, you're being snarky. But Paul says, no, this isn't how it works. We're baptized into the death of Christ, which means the old self dies. We're living a new kind of life now. We're united with Christ in our baptism. So Paul is stating something happened in your baptism. Something happened that you're now called to live out. Your old self died. And you were reborn. Like he's not saying, hey, you should probably kill off that old self. It's getting stinky. He's saying it died. It already died. It's dead. And you've been reborn and you've been united with his resurrection, with his death and resurrection. So it changes our covenantal status and who we are in the depths of our being. It's not just I signed insurance papers and now I get to go to heaven when I die. Something happened in your baptism, really, to you as a human being. Something happened to you. Your old life is kind of like uh, you, you were a slave to sin, just like the Egyptians in Egypt. Your new life, you're set free from sin. You're under the reign of grace. The enemy that God saves you from in the Exodus story was Pharaoh, and here it's sin. Sin is the enemy that God saves us from. So this is an Exodus image that Paul is giving us here. It's a Passover image. Slaves becoming free by passing through the water. And our old solidarity 
with the old self, with the body of sin, it's called, which is just the body of sin is not like my human body, but it's like, you know how we talk about the body of Christ or we talk about um, like, a, like a group of people that are, that are, Paul's image here is like a body of sin, which is like a group of people who are sort of controlled by the power of sin. If you've ever seen a mob attack someone, you're seeing the body of sin. Does that make sense? The old body of sin controlled by the principalities and powers has been broken. In your baptism, that solidarity that you have with that is broken. And you have a new solidarity with Christ. And so this is what Paul is saying in this picture. Um, That's been broken. If you've died then, you're free from that body of sin. It no longer applies to you. So since this is already true, Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. So count yourselves, like this is true, but you need to... You need to do the calculations. You need to count it. You need to think through it and say, well, what does that mean for me then? Well, that means I'm not a slave to those old things. It means I, I, I can live a new life. I'm, I'm responsive to Christ, not to sin, because something happened in your baptism. Now, baptism isn't magic. It's not a magic charm that you know, happens to us and then everything's good. It demands discipleship. It demands that we train those we baptize into the faith so that we learn how to live a baptized life. But baptism is all about the death and the rising, the dying and the rising of Jesus, being plunged into that reality. Jesus creating this new reality, and we enter into it through baptism. So baptism is how we participate in new creation. It's the beginning point for our life in Christ. If you've been baptized into the Messiah, you're no longer in Adam. You're out of that old solidarity. You're into this new solidarity with Jesus. And so we participate in Christ's death in baptism, and in his resurrection, which starts our new life. Okay? So that's a bit of teaching, but I just want us to fill our minds a little bit with this reality as we uh, move towards the table. So baptism isn't just a signpost of the new reality, it's the gateway to that new reality. And if you've been baptized, this is true of you. That old solidarity has been broken off. This is true of you. You have solidarity with Jesus Christ, so count yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. And that's the call today, to live into your baptism, to live a cruciform life. Anglican theologian, actually is more of a biblical scholar, N.T. Wright says this, the simple but powerful action of plunging someone into the water in the name of the triune God, in that act there is really dying to the old creation and a real rising into the new with all the dangerous privileges and responsibilities that then accompany the new life. Baptism is not magic, It's not a conjuring trick with water, but neither is it simply a visual aid. It is one of the points established by Jesus himself where heaven and earth interlock, where new creation, resurrection life appears within the midst of the old. So something's happening in our baptism, and if you've been baptized, something happened to you. And the call today is to live into that, living a dying and rising life. So for me, coming back to my story at the beginning, for me, part of that is embracing my grief. That's part of living a cruciform life. Part of it is letting go of these old dreams, letting go of this thing that didn't happen that I wanted to have happen, and trusting that as I embrace the death of of grieving that, that God has life for me on the other side of it. So that's a personal thing. And I, I wonder if there's something like that in your life. Is there a place where you're avoiding the dying that you need to do? Is there a place where you're hanging on to some dream. Maybe it's like, man, if my spouse would only change in these three ways, 
Four. Matt's got four ways he's praying for. <clears throat> it's okay. Sharon's got like 17. So. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Like that's a, that's a little death. Like living a cruciform life means I'm going to just, I'm going to lay this down and trust that, that, that reality is actually better than this wish I have in my head. Where do you need to embrace death so God can bring new life? Let's just take a couple moments in silence. I want you to think about that just for your life personally. Where do you need to embrace death so that God can bring new life? Where do you need to live a baptized life? Another way, and this is how we're going to respond today. Uh, We normally respond with a prayer about that personal thing uh, that you may be wrestling with. I encourage you to, to pray into that and to live into that. But another way that we respond, uh, that we're going to respond today with, uh, another way that we embrace death, and Matt mentioned this earlier, but especially as white people, (laughs) predominantly white people, a a way that we can embrace death is to align ourselves with our oppressed brothers and sisters who feel fear and pain when they see images like we saw this weekend of white supremacists openly intimidating people. The easy thing to do, I feel this, is to avert our eyes, to stay quiet, to hope it blows over, to think how terrible. Or stay neutral, try to like, well, you know. But it's a kind of death, for me anyway, to say something <laughs> when, I, when I know I don't need to. And so I want to invite us Uh, into responding today as a congregation in prayer. Um, The old life is one of defining ourselves over against others. But in our new life, we are united with Christ and thus united with all baptized Christians from every race and ethnicity, all of it. We're united with every tribe, color, language, and people. And the violence and the ideology that's on display in Charlottesville right now. I just want to say this. It is demonic and antichrist because it denies the truth of our one baptism, that we are united in Christ as one multi-ethnic, worldwide people of God. So today we respond then. We're going to respond in two ways. We're going to recite the creed together. This is a creed that Christians all over the world recite together. And so we're in solidarity with the baptized Christians all over the world, no matter what race, color, stripe. And then we're going to join our spirits and voices in prayer uh, for reconciliation and justice uh, with a prayer that uh, we've got printed in the booklet there. And continue to seek as a congregation to stand in solidarity with the oppressed and with the marginalized wherever we find them in our neighborhoods, uh, in our city. Okay, can we do this together? All right. Let's stand. Let's confess our faith together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, True God from true God, begotten, not made, 
of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Let's remain standing uh, as a symbol and a sign of standing in solidarity with those that we pray for now. Join with me in this prayer. You guys praying the words in bold. Lord Jesus, your kingdom is good news for a world caught in racial hostility. We ask that you would give us grace for the deep challenges facing our country. Lord, only you can make all things new. Lord, we confess our anger, our deep sadness, and our collective sense of weakness to see this world healed through our own strength. Lord, only you can make all things new. Lord, we honestly confess that our country has a long history of racial oppression, that racism has been a strategy of evil powers and principalities. Lord, we confess that the gospel is good news for the oppressed and the oppressor. Both are raised up, both are liberated, but in different ways. The oppressed are raised up from the harsh burden of inferiority, the oppressor from the destructive illusion of superiority. Lord, we confess that the gospel is your power to form a new people, not identified by dominance and superiority, but by unity in the spirit. Lord, we ask that you would help us name our part in this country's story of racial oppression and hostility, whether we have sinned against others by seeing them as inferior or whether we have been silent in the face of evil. Forgive us of our sin. Oh Lord, only you can make all Lord, we pray for our enemies. We pray for, uh, for those who have allowed satanic powers to work through them. Grant them deliverance through your mighty power. Lord, we ask that you would form us to be peacemakers. May we be people who speak the truth in love as we work for a reconciled world. Oh Lord, only you can make all things. Lord, we commit our lives to you, believing that you are working in the world in spite of destructive powers and principalities. Bring healing to those who are hurt, peace to those who are anxious, and love to those who are fearful. We wait for you, O oh Lord. Make haste to help us. Father, we're grateful for uh, your call to us. Lord, thank you for our baptism. I pray that you'd help us uh, this week to live baptized lives, to seek peace and reconciliation, to stand with those that you stand with. 